water the tempest is my home short is my pilgrim is my home twilight past soon shall be overpassed i shall reach last time my home therefore i murmur not heaven is my home and every earthly lot heaven is my home and i shall surely stand there at the lord's right hand Heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw nearer the true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. <clears throat> Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant to the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation i will sing to the lord because he has dealt bountifully with me Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? 
How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it's now and will be forever. Amen. O Lord, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high. We praise Thee, we bless Thee, we worship Thee, we glorify Thee, we give thanks to Thee for Thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sin of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For thou art not holy, thou only art the Lord. Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O oh God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because through the weakness of our mortal nature we can do no good thing, grant us your grace to keep your commandments that we may please you in both will and deed. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.
The Old Testament lesson for this, the first Sunday after the Trinity, is written in the 15th chapter of the first book of Moses, commonly called the Genesis, beginning at the first verse. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I've sinned against thee. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The epistle lesson is written in the fourth chapter of St. John's first epistle, beginning at the 16th verse. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. But this love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Alleluia, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Alleluia. Holy Gospel is written in the 16th chapter of St. Luke, beginning at the 19th verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. 
And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if one should rise from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, in the life of the world to come. Amen.
merciful and tender, Jesus our Savior, with the Father reigning, Spirit of comfort, Advocate, Defender, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in the seventh year of the reign of Claudius Caesar, a document from that period of time was discovered by archaeologists, and on the back of this, uh, this document was found a more ancient document written in Egyptian that tells a folktale, a folktale about a, uh, a man whose son was mysteriously reborn, and he came to his father, and he took his father on a, tier, on a tour of Amenete, the realm of the dead, to show him what happened to a rich man who had died and to a poor man who had also died. But this poor man was carried out on an uh, unmourned, on a straw mat, to a common, the common necropolis of Memphis, and the rich man was now seen after his wonderful burial and wonderful entombment in a place of torment with literally the axle of a hinge of one of the halls of the place of the dead affixed into his head so that every time the door opened, he was just in unbelievable agony for eternity. Whereas the poor man was now in the next hall, seated on a throne next to Osiris, the ruler of Amenete, the realm of the dead, dressed in fine linen and fine robes. And see, Osiris, the son, says to his father, may it be done to you in Amanete as is done in Amanete to this pauper and not as it is done to this rich man in Amanete. 
Furthermore, several documents have been uncovered of ancient rabbinical teachings. And the most famous of these is, is the story of two Torah scholars and a tax collector by the name of Bar Mayan. One scholar, Torah scholar, dies and is literally buried unmourned. Nobody even almost notices that he died. He's just buried. But the tax collector, Bar Mayan, when he dies, there's a, the, the whole town ceases and, and they have this big funeral and it, it, it's just, it, it's like a, like, a, like a national day of prayer occurs essentially. And the surviving scholar is just troubled by this. He's like, why? Why would the, why would the good man be, would die and be unmourned in this eve? This man that was clearly evil, why would everyone treat his death like it's a, like, it's like a day of, of mourning for him? The surviving scholar had a, had a dream. And in the dream, the story goes, that the, the dead scholar appeared to him and said, don't be angry about what happened with the tax collector and with me. He said, I was mourned, I was buried and, and left unmourned because I had committed one sin in my life. I had put a phylactery on the wrong way. But this tax collector, he, was, he had a great funeral because he had, he had committed one good deed in his life. That is, he had fed the poor of the town after he had prepared a great feast and the counselors of the town didn't show up. So because of his one good deed, he had a great funeral, but he is now in torment and I am in paradise, but I didn't have a good funeral. So don't, don't mourn it. How similar these two stories, this Hebrew story and this Egyptian story are to our gospel lesson this morning, where Jesus tells the Pharisees about how there was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar by the name of Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with that which fell from, his master, from, from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, Jesus tells us. And the rich man died and was buried. And in hell, the rich man cries out. But it's too late. Now it's interesting that all three of these, these tales, the Egyptian folktale, the, the Hebrew lesson, and Jesus' parable, all three of these are forcing us to do what? All three of them are forcing us to think about when we die day we die. Because the longer we live in this earth, the, the, the chances of us dying gets to 100%. And see, this is the great error of the church in the 20th and, late, and early 21st centuries. The great error of Christianity, at least in North America, is that we begin to think that church is about helping us for today. It's to give us little, little tidbits to help us for living today. Kind of like that Tesla charging station or that gas station to kind of fill up my tank before I come, I roll in next Sunday and get filled up again. That's not what the church is for. It may do that for you, but that's not what it's for. The church is here to prepare you for this day, the day, your last day, the day you leave this world, the day you die, the day you face your maker. That's the real mission of the church. And it's a tragedy that so many of us have lost, that, lost sight of that reality. Because when you die, when we die, what then? Because we see in all three of these stories, two very different outcomes. One outcome, the man is in heaven. The other outcome, the man is in hell. 
So both Judaism, Christianity, and the ancient Egyptians all agree that there is a different outcome possible for us. Very different from each other. It might be good for us to know why. Why the rich man ended up in hell. It may be very helpful, helpful, helpful for us to know that. Because we one day will die also. We will. Well, I think the first key to unlocking the answer to these questions is found in Abraham's reply to the rich man's first request of Lazarus. See, the rich man who lived his whole life selfishly, his whole life, it was all about him. And now, even in death, it's all about him, right? Oh, will you send, will you send Lazarus to dip his finger into water and cool the tip of my tongue, for I am in torment, right? And what, what, is, what does Abraham say to him? He says, son, remember in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. And now he is comforted and you are tormented. Holy scriptures, in other words, bristles with numerous warnings about us being seduced by worldly priorities or worldly pleasures or worldly luxuries rather than, than, than seeing this world's things and its goals and its motivations as potentially a trap, right? It's the reason why God says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and, and for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced them, themselves with many griefs. First Timothy 6.10. It's the reason why in the Psalm 62.10 warns us, place no trust in extortion and false hope, in stolen goods. If your riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Yes, Jesus also says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, right? But put your treasures where? In heaven. In heaven. Yes, this world's things, its priorities, its goals are potentially a trap to us. They don't have to be, but they, they potentially can become that. That's the reason why God warns us in Hebrews 13:5. Keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This reason, Jesus also says in Luke 12, 32, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide yourselves with purses that will not wear out and an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, when we read verses like that, What's God telling us? Is he telling us that we need to get on the phone Monday and call our brokers and our, our, uh, our investment bankers and our uh, realtors and just sell it all and go live under the bridge? It's not what he's telling us. He's telling us not to love the things of this world. The, the problem is not wealth per se. That's not the problem. The problem is loving the wealth more than we love God, like any idolatry is, is the problem. That's what God's telling us. You know, God gives you this day your daily bread for a very important reason, so that you might eat and so that you might love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you're a wealthy person, you're supposed to use that wealth for the benefit of those around you, not just selfishly. And if you're poor, you use what you have as well for those reasons. It's not the amount that matters, it's who you love. Do you love God or do you love the world? Now, what Jesus is doing in today's gospel lesson in this parable is he's pointing us not, he's not condemning the rich man 
over Lazarus per se. No, that's not what he's doing. Rather, he's condemning the love of money because the rich man, all he cared about was himself. And his brothers are an extension of himself. Don't, don't kid yourself. Family is just an extension of me and you. No, he's trying to see, see that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves and love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. That's what he's trying to do. And the key to this second section, again, is are found within the words of Abraham. Because what does the Abraham want, want, want Lazarus to what does the rich man want Lazarus to do? He wants Lazarus to go back from the dead and warn his brothers. Because he doesn't want his five brothers to end up in hell with him. That's a noble, noble goal. But what does Abraham say? No. They have Moses and the prophets, which is God's word, the scriptures. They have the Holy Scriptures. If they will not hear the Holy Scriptures, they will not hear and believe and be convinced, even if somebody comes back from the dead, which Jesus did, and people still don't believe in him. Do they? No, they have Moses and the prophets. That's shorthand for the scriptures. In other words, true wealth the wealth that we really should be pursuing above all other wealth is the wealth of Jesus Christ, God, the Word, the one who has the words of eternal life. To whom else can we go? That's the real wealth. That's the real thing we should be pursuing. Yes, that's the reason why Jesus tells us that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Are we free? Are we free? You want to be free? I mean, really free? Free from fear? Fear of death? The free, free from the fear of, of pandemics and wars and economic collapse, of losing your job, of losing your spouse, of losing your friends, of losing whatever it is you're, you're afraid of losing, your life? Because ultimately, all fears really are just a fear of death, aren't they? You want to be able to get up every morning and to know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that the worst thing that can happen to me today is to wake up in paradise? Yeah, of course we do. That's really what we want, isn't it? To be free. Because if we live our days ruled by fear, then we are not being ruled by Christ. I'm as guilty of letting God not rule me as you are. No, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why does God say that? Why does he say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Because God is greater than any other enemy, including death. And if God is somebody we don't have to fear, then how can we fear anything less than him? We can't. And that's why the scriptures say, if the Son has made you free, you are free indeed. Thus in today's gospel, Lazarus, who literally says nothing and does nothing, but sit and die. He is the image, the icon, if you will, of the true disciple. He is the one who understands that earthly wealth can only grant a modicum of temporary comfort and that eventually, if you draw the timeline out long enough, it fails 100% of the time. The true Christian understands that they, when they stand before God, are literally naked and covered in sores and have no wealth whatsoever because it is only through what Christ gives us and what Christ does that our entrance into heaven and forgiveness is purchased. Yes, the true Christian understands 
as Solomon once wrote, that vanity of vanity, everything is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Solomon said, I, I have perceived, I have tried to know wisdom. I've tried to know madness and folly. I have perceived that this is also a grasping after wind. For in much wisdom, there is much grief. In much knowledge, there is much sorrow. We can all say that's true, can't we? The more we learn of life, the longer we live within this world, the more sorrow, the more sorrow we taste. No, Solomon is right. In other words, what Solomon was doing is lamenting the folly of even trying to understand this insane and sin-filled planet. A much better course of action, Scripture would tell us, is to trust in God's word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Yes, as Solomon writes in Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is a lamp. The Torah is a light. We need that light in the darkness of our world, don't we? We need that light. A light that brings us to the certainty of salvation. A light that brings us to the miracle of knowing that we are born again through water and the spirit. And the miracle of baptism we put on Christ. The miracle of knowing that we can come to Christ's table and eat and drink and, and the body and blood of Christ given and shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins and know that we have eternal life. Know it. Yes, let us not waste our lives as the rich man did, striving for the things of this world and losing our own immortal souls. Rather, let us learn from the example of Lazarus, trust in Christ so that we will one day join Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Welcome this morning. Um, the uh, please note the blue news for this week kind of gives you the schedule of kind of what's coming up, and um, so please note those things there. Um, if you're interested in any of those activities, you're certainly welcome. There's not a lot going on. It's summer, so things are a little slow this week. But um, it, one of the things we are um, trying to think about is a summer catechism. I've already got a couple students. And we're thinking about having a, a uh, class uh, on starting the 15th, Tuesday the 15th, uh, from 11.30 to about 1-ish. And uh, for those who are out of school that would like to take a summer catechism, either a refresher or uh, either uh, continue the process. And uh, so that's available. And uh, just let me know. Please call me and let me know if you're interested in being part of that. We're, we'll probably go about maybe six, probably six to seven, eight weeks maybe. I'm going to look at the see how the schedule goes, but it's going to be twice a week. It's going to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, so twice a week for about six to eight weeks, depending on how we do. And uh, also, we have an elders meeting coming up next Tuesday. We have a potluck social the 13th. Uh, please bring a dish for that. And uh, also, the 20th, we have Family Promise is, com is coming back after the pandemic, and that's going to be June 20th through July 3rd. And uh, we have signups in the, in the back if you want to help with that. That's a really great thing. Some of y'all, if you don't know what Family Promise is, it's been a, a couple years since we've done it. Family Promise is where uh, we and several other churches in Baldwin County uh, work together to provide housing for homeless families so that uh, so they can stay together while they're trying to get back up on their feet. So we, we would love to, to, if you'd like to help with that, please call uh, Kim Clay or you can also contact me about it. And I can explain to you all about it. It's some neat, really great stuff. And uh, John Ulrich's got some pro some projects also um, with different things, especially the air conditioner in the fellowship hall. So contact him if you need to do that, to help, want to help. Um, we have some prayer requests this morning. One is for Gary Sloan, who is a relative of Smitty. He's recovering from heart surgery, so we'll pray for Gary. Also, um, um, Jessica Cole asked that we pray for her uh, grandmother, um, Bonnie Davis, who um, is um, uh, healing after having a um, uh, a, uh, a tumor removed and a knee a knee what is that a knee block? What's that? Okay, and we'll pray for her. And then also, uh, Bonnie Smith asked us last week to pray for Hunter Walker, and we'll continue praying for him this week as well. Good. Lord be with you. <clears throat> 